This is a sermon about parenting. It's about children submitting to and obeying their parents. And it's about parents obeying the Lord and training their children. We're doing that because in these few weeks, uh, five weeks altogether, we are thinking together about a gift of God, a good gift of God, but a uh, what I have said is a misunderstood, uh, disparaged, ignored gift, and that is the gift that God gives in giving us authority, and Him being our authority, and Him ruling over us, and then Him delegating in different spheres of life authority where we would learn to submit and obey for our flourishing and for the glory of God. Uh, the main idea of this passage, it's a short passage, it's not a hard passage to understand, really, the stand just read for us, but the main idea, uh, as I understand it, is that children and parents who honor God's good design for authority in the home enjoy great blessing. Children and parents who honor God's good design for authority in the home enjoy great blessing. To help us think about that main idea, we're going to just really stay close to the flow of this passage. We're going to make two observations basically from this passage. First, we're going to consider some words to children about obedience to their parents. And then secondly, some words to parents, especially fathers, about the right use of authority over their children. It's pretty straightforward. It's what the text says. Some words to children about obedience to their parents. Some words to parents, especially fathers, about the right use of authority over their children. But before we get into that, I want to say a brief word to everyone here, regardless of your marital status or your parental status this morning, about solidarity in the family of God. I think this is important because I trust that some in this gathering right now have already reached the point in this sermon where they have concluded, this one's not really for me today. Uh, maybe you have reached that point with great contentment and understanding. It's not for me, but I know this is a season of life that many are walking through, and it's a good thing that they would hear that from the Word of God. Uh, maybe it's a conclusion that you've reached with some mild measure of perhaps annoyance or irritation. Listen there, can we just do like a Sunday school class about that? Why, why do we need to hear that uh, in a sermon on Sunday morning? For others of you, maybe you come to uh, this subject with deep wounds of pain. Perhaps because of the desire for children, but God not granting that desire. Perhaps uh, a struggle with infertility or miscarriages or unwanted singleness or wayward children who have disregarded the faith and you feel regret and pain over what role perhaps you have played in their waywardness. I just want to acknowledge up front that I'm mindful of these 
kinds of realities in the room right now, and I, I do believe that God's Word speaks to it. Uh, Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, also wrote uh, the two letters to the Corinthian church, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he wrote, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So it, it's a burden of mine as I think about a passage like that, that we would pray for and that we would work together towards a culture in the body of Christ where we recognize that, that we're all in it together. And when I say we're in it, I mean if we're here and we're Christians and we're a part of this body, we're in the good work of receiving Jesus' love and living in a way that calls attention to his love. We're all in that together. That's what I mean by solidarity. So to the singles who are here, widows, childless ones, I want you to know that we value you and we believe that you have a great part to play in the flourishing of the families at Joy Community Fellowship. And I do believe that you will be helped this morning to give heed to God's word so that you can be a part of the flourishing of the children who are in this church as you learn how to pray for and encourage and support and counsel and even admonish your brothers and sisters who are in that season of parenting, I think you'll be helped to give heed to God's word this morning. Uh, parents, those who are in that season of parenting, you should assume that those who are here who are not in that season actually have valuable uh, content that they could give to you, that they could actually help you be better parents. <laughs> We have been helped in our parenting by people who are not parents. Many of you and others outside of this body, so you can be of help and blessing. And I also want to encourage those who are here this morning, and there are a good number of us who are in that season particularly of bringing up children. Not just parents that what we would call maybe empty nesters whose children are grown and out of the house, but those who are in that, what it says there in verse 4, bringing up those children in the discipline and instruction of the word. If you're in that season, let's just be aware that when someone comes into these gatherings, and maybe they would like to be in that season, but they're not for one reason or another, this can be a hard place to be. Let's just be aware of that. And let's be diligent to ensure that those who are not in that season of parenting, that they know from us, that they hear us express, that they experience loud and clear by our words and our actions, by our care and by our eagerness to fold them into our lives, that we recognize that in here, what really matters about people is not their marital status or their parental status, but their status in Christ. As Paul says, here in the church, 
There's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, and I think I can legitimately uh, apply to that word parent or non-parent, single or married. There's none of that, but Christ is all and in all. Amen to your amens. Like that dialogue. Uh, so we want to cultivate that kind of solidarity in the body of Christ as we hear these specific instructions to children and to parents. That's what we want to do in our time together. Kids, children, I'm going to be talking to you for a pretty good while now. Although I expect that your parents might be listening in as well. Children, here is God's word to you this morning. It's there. Do you, if you have a Bible, kids, it's good to have your Bibles open. Look at verse 1 of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, there, there are some important... I don't know where all the kids are. Actually, I'm not going to have all the kids stand up. I've got to get to look at where all the kids... Sometimes it's a little hard to see you kiddos, but... There's some important things to notice here in this passage. First notice that Paul is actually talking to you in this passage. And I think that's a really cool thing. God moved in the heart of the Apostle Paul to have him say something specifically in this letter to the Ephesians to the children. He wants to say to you, kids, and he expects that you kids are going to be gathered together with your parents hearing God's word when it's brought to the church. That's why Paul, when he wrote this letter, and he expected that this letter would be sent to the church in Ephesus, and it, somebody, like a pastor, would stand up and read this letter from an apostle, and the apostle Paul expected that the kids and their parents would be gathered together to hear that word. So I just want you to hear, kids, all of you kids who are here say, what I think I say a, 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 a little bit, I think I say it regularly, that I'm really glad that you're here. I love having you here in the services, singing with us and praying with us and hearing the teaching of Scripture. Even if you don't understand everything that is said, it's a great blessing. And, and if I could just speak to the adults for a moment as I speak to the kids, let's have a loving and patient and very sensitive uh, care for those who are parenting, who are wanting to try to get their kids to pay attention, and sometimes they're a little bit distracted, and sometimes they can distract us a little bit, and that's all a wonderful thing. Because God expects that the children and the adults and the parents are going to be gathered in the gathering together. And so kids, his word to you, as he expects you to hear this in the gathering of the church, his word to you is obey your parents. Any brave child want to just take a guess? What when Paul says obey, what does he mean? Listen to your parents. Listen to your parents. I have on the table. Listen to your parents. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good start. Pay attention. Are you paying attention right now? <laughs> uh, listen. Pay attention. Respect is, is something that we're going to talk about in this passage too. It says honor. So listen, pay attention, respect. Do what you're told. I think that's a big piece to the listen and pay attention. Because the person could listen and then not actually do anything about it. But that wouldn't be obeying. So it does involve listening and paying attention and then doing what you're told. And kids, you're to do that. <coughs> With your parents. 
And notice that Paul says, your parents. God has put you kids into your family with your parents very purposefully. It's not an accident. But he knew just what he was doing when he gave you to your parents and when he gave your parents to you. You may have a big family, you may have a small family. You may have both mom and dad who live with you. You may only have one of your parents who live with you. But God knew what he was doing when he put you into your family. He gave them to you. He gave your parents to you, kids. And he gave you to your parents, not just for them to be your best buddies, Though I do hope you really love and enjoy and are, could think of your parents as friends. But he didn't just give them to you to be your friends, but to be in charge over you. To be in authority. And since it's right, Paul says, did you notice that Paul says it's right to obey your parents? That means also that it's wrong to disobey them. It's sin to disobey your parents. It's a very serious sin, actually. It's, it's a sin that shows that we actually are rejecting God's authority. When we kids reject our parents' authority, that fancy word authority means that they're, they're in charge over you. When we reject that, when we don't live like that, we're actually rejecting God's authority. And so it is serious. You might not think it's serious when you turn on the TV or when you watch movies. Sometimes kids disregarding or disobeying their parents or making fun of their parents or talking about how annoying their parents are. Maybe you even experience that at school where you have friends that do that. It may seem cool to think poorly of your parents, but God does not think that that's cool. And God knows what is best. God, the Lord, is very important in your relationship with your parents. Did you notice that it says there in Ephesians that we're to obey, children, obey your parents in the Lord? And I think what that means is that we're to obey our parents for the Lord's sake, to honor Him out of our obedience to Him, the Lord, because we're in a loving relationship with Him. God wants you to know that one of the biggest ways that you show your obedience to Jesus as your Lord is by your obeying the parents that the Lord has given to you. And it's important that you remember, kids, what a good Lord He is. Do you know how any of us come to be in the Lord? It's not by our obeying Him. It's not even by our obeying our parents. Because none of us have obeyed God or our parents perfectly. But because God loves us, He sent Jesus the Lord to be punished on the cross for all the ways that you have sinned against God, including the ways you've sinned against God by disobeying your parents. Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to come and do that for you. And when you see that you are a sinner and you trust in Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse you, he saves you from your sin. He brings you into his family. And that's how we get to be in the Lord. So he's a good Lord. 
He's a good Lord. He's so good. He came and died for our sins on the cross. And so when he now, having died on the cross for us, when he tells us to obey our parents in the Lord because it's right, we can trust it's right. This command is coming from someone who loves me so much, he died for all the ways I have failed him. He's a good Lord. And then to help us see how good and right this commandment is, Paul writes verses 2 and 3 of chapter 6. Do you see, kids, if you have your Bibles open, do you see that there's quotation marks there in verse 2? Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then there's quotation marks, honor your father and mother. Does anybody know what that's a quotation from, kids? It's from the Ten Commandments. Any of you kids happen to know which commandment it is? It's a little tricky. You might say the first if you read this passage, but that would not be the right answer. What commandment is it? Do you remember? Anyone? It is the fifth commandment. So Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments, and he says, Honor your father and mother. That call, I think it was, was it Judah who said respect to show value, to show how, how valuable your parents are to live in a way and treat them in a way that shows honor to them. That's a commandment that you're going to be called to obey your whole life. And your parents might be wanting me to talk in this sermon about how to do that well with their parents. That's a very important subject, but it's not something I'm actually going to be talking about today, though I could recommend some resources for your parents to think about that. Did you see how I was talking to the parents there as I talked to the children? <laughs> We're always called to honor our parents in appropriate ways, even though this call to obey them, I think, is limited to that time in life when, when we are especially dependent on our parents' care. So as long as you are eating your parents' food, and living in their house and, and wearing the clothes that they bought for you, it's appropriate for you to obey their authority in the way that Paul is talking about here. Once you move out, maybe it's because you're getting married or maybe you just move on from your parents and you're not dependent upon them in those ways, then we still are called to honor them, but we won't be necessarily obeying them in the same way. But for now, to honor them is to show respect. It means not just that we do what we're told when we're told, which is important, but that we do it respectfully. That we don't roll our eyes when we go to do the thing that they've told us to do. And while the worship leaders have told you that it's okay to stomp on the ground when we sing that line about trampling the grave, it should not be something that you do to stomp and trample off when you are told to do something. That's not respectful to the authority that your parents have. Another way that we see how important this commandment is is that Paul says it's the first with a promise. Honor your father and mother. Verse 2 says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now this is a little tricky to explain for kids or adults, honestly. Because when God gave the Ten Commandments in the first place, the people of Israel were getting ready to go into the Promised Land, the land that God had promised to Abraham, the land of Canaan. But I don't think today that we should expect that if we obey our parents, that God's going to move us back to the land of Israel and we're going to live there. No. That might not seem like a very rewarding promise. Obey your parents and you can go live in Israel. 
I think what Paul is talking about here is if you think kids about like, let's say your, your parents are making a birthday cake and they give you a little, little lick of the spoon of the batter of the cake before they put it into the oven and you, that's a really, you really like that taste because, not just because of the taste itself because it's making you excited about the cake that's coming. The land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham is just a little taste of a new heavens and a new earth, which God has promised to all his children. And so sometimes we sing this song in church, I am bound. Kids, do you know how to respond if I say, I am bound? How would you, how would you respond? Anybody? Okay, we're not singing today. Is that what we're doing, basically? I, I am bound. I am bound. So that's not talking about going back and living in Israel. That's talking about the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, where every tear is wiped away, where there's no more sickness, no more bad dreams, nothing unpleasant or sad, no sickness, no death, no bullies at school. The perfect world where we love God and where God is glorified and honored. And it's saying that when we have a habit, when we give ourselves to obeying our parents in the Lord, that's paving the way for us to experience a life of blessing and joy. A little bit now, we get to experience that now, but mostly forever. As Paul says earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, in the coming ages, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And kids, when you show respect for your parents' authority, it shows that you're on a path towards submitting to God's authority, and especially his authority when he says, repent and believe in my son Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for life. It means that as you respect that authority, you're moving on that pathway to life and joy and goodness forever and ever. But if we have a habit or a lifestyle of disobeying our parents and ignoring their authority, the authority that God has given to them, then we're actually paving the way for death and pain. So let me read to you a proverb. It sounds kind of gross, but it's in the Bible for our good. Proverbs 30, verse 17. Listen to this, children. The eye, means the eye, the eye, that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother. So think about rolling your eyes when they say something you don't like. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens in the valley and eaten by the vultures. You can, go, you can open your Bible as in Proverbs 30, verse 17. I have not made that up. And kids, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying it, and I believe God says it, to show us how seriously God takes obedience and honor and respect for your parents. Because when you develop as a young child an attitude that is like, I don't have to obey you. I'm in charge. I can rule me. That way of thinking when you take that, just not just from your parents, but to your God, 
it ends in death and misery and sadness. And so God lovingly puts words like this in here to show us how seriously he takes obedience and honor and respect for parents. And he also does it to show the parents how seriously they should take their responsibility to teach and train and to expect and enforce obedience to their authority. And so let's turn now for a few minutes to some words to parents, especially fathers, about the right use of authority over their children. And kids, you might just find that this is still interesting for you to listen to as you learn about the authority that God has over your parents and how he calls them to live in relation to you. We see it in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you remember back a couple of weeks when we started this series, we were looking at 2 Samuel 23, those last words of David, which gave us some fundamental convictions about good authority. And remember that one of those key takeaways that I said was important for that passage, that's really important for all of these sermons, is that it's only those who know that they are under authority who can rightly exercise authority over other people. And so... Here we're seeing God in his authority commanding parents for what to do with the authority that he's giving to them over their kids. The parents, it's important that we remember that in our parental authority, we're not given charge to do whatever we want with them. They are your children. You see that in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. Do not provoke your children. They are yours but seeing as Jesus is telling you what to do with them, they're actually ultimately His. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be glory forever and ever. That means from Him and through Him and to Him are our kids, that we might glorify Him. They are a stewardship from Him to advance His purposes in them. We get a glimpse of what that purpose, that primary purpose is in uh, uh, Psalm 78. Psalm 78 says, He, the Lord, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So Psalm 78, if you notice there, he commanded our fathers to teach the children. Psalm 78, just like Paul does in Ephesians 6, 4, he singles out the fathers in this charge. I don't think the reason is because moms have no part to play in the discipleship and training of their children. Right? It clearly says, children, obey your parents. It says, honor your father and mother. I don't think it's because the fathers are the main, mainly the ones who would be tempted to get angry and harsh and might provoke their children to anger. I think the main reason Paul singles out the fathers is because he's referring back to the words that he's just spoken about in Ephesians 5.25 and following about how husbands are to be the head of their home. I probably should have added another sermon to this series about husbanding, husbandly authority. But at least let me just say this here, that in Paul's vision, 
of home life and family life, uh, there is a mom and a dad. Again, we understand that that's not always the case, and God gives special grace to you who are not in a season where mom and dad are together at home raising the children. But in Paul's vision here that he's describing, there's a mom and a dad, and the dad is the primary leader of the family. Fathers are singled out in verse 4, I believe, because they are the ones ultimately responsible for what happens in their home. Kind of the way when uh, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and God had given the command not to eat of the uh, fruit from the forbidden tree, Eve is the first one who ate. But God came to Adam and said, what's going on, Adam? It is the husbands and fathers who are to be setting the spiritual temperature in their homes. So uh, men in the room, husbands, fathers in the room, this is a bit of a wake-up call to us. Uh, many of us prefer to concentrate primarily on our careers, or maybe give focus to other aspects of our children's well-being, maybe their athletic accomplishments or their academic pursuits, and have a tendency to hand over the, the supervision of their children's spiritual welfare to their wives, gradually uh, sliding out of close touch with how their kids are doing in the Lord, spiritually. And... I just want to say to the men in the room, and please understand, I'm not one, though I stand up here, I'm not really over you on this one, but as a friend of mine says, I'm kind of journeying with you on the struggle bus here. But we need to be aware that to live in that kind of a way is an abuse of our authority. Uh, are your children dads? being nurtured and disciplined and taught and warned. Do not expect your wives to do that. Do not expect the church to do it. Do not expect the children's ministry to do it, though we are thankful for those entities in the church. This is your calling and your responsibility in submission to the Lord's authority. Now, the charge here, then, is to fathers with a view toward their headship in the home. But I do believe that mothers are included in the call. Again, it says obey your parents in the Lord. The charge here is put negatively, don't provoke your children to anger. Sometimes we must. Here's what I mean. Sometimes, uh, let's say your four-year-old wants to stay up another hour and you just, you, know, you lovingly, respectfully, but firmly, you communicate like, no, it's bedtime. And they get angry. Well, that's not your fault, parents. That, that, you know, you, we, we have to make decisions that might arouse their anger. But what it's saying is that we not live and relate to them in a way that unnecessarily stirs up or irritates them, or it says in Colossians 3, provokes discouragement in them. I think one commentator uh, communicates this idea behind not provoking to anger well. He says, effectively, the apostle is ruling out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, 
constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensitivities. Uh, we might include in that making unhelpful, compar always comparing uh, your child when he's disobedient to this other. Why can't you be like this child? Or mocking them, or yelling them, or disciplining them out of anger rather than out of a desire to do them good and represent God's authority. If this kind of provoking to anger is a reality in your home, I'll speak to maybe the wives and the children right now. If, if you live with a man whose favorite Bible verse seems to be, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. If you live with a man who is characteristically marked by those abuses of authority that we just traced through, and that was just, of course, a sampling. If you live that way, please do not, please do not think that submitting to your husband means tolerating that and ignoring it and just living with that pain and that disgrace. If you are living with one who you are concerned is abusing authority that God has given, please do speak to me or another pastor in this church or someone who you love and trust and respect in this church. We do not think it is God's will that you just deal with that and live with that. That is an evil abuse of authority. The disposition of parental authority, on the other hand, is one of nurturing. <coughs> this word here, bring up your children. It's, it's translated in Ephesians 5 as nourish, to feed, to care for, to make sure something is healthy and strong. Right? Even the word husband. Do you know what husbandry is? I'm not much of an agriculture guy, okay? That's shocking to you. Uh, I had to look it up. But husbandry is the care and cultivation and breeding of crops or animals. I'm not saying that you're, you know, that's, you understand what I'm saying. It's about care and cultivation. That's the work of a husband. Not to say, your calling is to submit to me. It's to care, to cultivate, or remind us of another principle from David's last words, that, that, that good authority is like the, the rains that water the earth so that it sprouts and gives life and flourishing and nutrients. That's the calling. And we're to do that through the exercise of discipline. It says, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the word, of the Lord, I'm sorry. I'm noticing that what's left to say and the appropriate expected time in which I would say it are not compatible right now. So let me just say something about each, something brief about each. When it says, bring up your children in the discipline of the Lord, I think the main biblical passage to help us interpret that discipline is Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, where that same word discipline is used eight times. And I'll just read it to you without commentary. Have you... I'll give you this little taste of commentary. The writer of Hebrews is exhorting the Christians there that he's addressing about... Uh, suffering that they are enduring and helping them to see God's good and wise purpose in their pain. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents, we're, we're called to love our children in such a way that they can make sense of those verses as they grow up and go. There are a host of reasons why that's hard. A host of reasons we can come up with to justify our neglect of administering discipline that is painful to them, but is done with the purpose of pursuing something very good, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lots of reasons why we may have a hard time with this. But over all those reasons why we might come up that are, it's hard, let's hang the banner of Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We're to bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And I think those words in Deuteronomy 6 that Rita read earlier, that Jeff prayed about earlier, are wonderful little Old Testament exposition of that reality of bringing up in the instruction of the Lord. Sure, it does involve bringing them to church. It does involve having family worship. But it is more than that. It is an all-of-life commitment to bring the character of God and the Word of God into the world of our children in the stuff of ordinary life. Bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's a whole lot more to say about it, but I, I want to end. I want to end with remembering Jesus, because if you're if you're here this morning and you're in this bringing up children stage of parenting, and you have a pulse, I'm trusting that you recognize this morning. Even from the only, this little bit that I just gave you from this passage, you have a sense of how you've fallen short. You know the standard. You know the calling. And you've perhaps been convicted of it before. You've read books before. You've made resolves before to do better and work better to love your children in a way that reflects God's good and loving authority. And yet you still have failed. Yet you still feel as if you have fallen woefully short. You hear this main idea that I said at the beginning, children and parents who honor God's good design for authority in the home enjoy great blessing. And you conclude... I have just made an absolute mess of that. I've blown it. And maybe you hear these instructions and you feel shame or regret or despair or just, a, a, a just complete helplessness and you just conclude, that's my lot. It's, it's
says, as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, should mark our parental iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? To meditate at length on Ephesians 6, 1-4, is to leave both child and parent exposed and guilty before the throne of God. But to dwell there would be to divorce these instructions from their foundation, which is found in Ephesians 5.21. If you look at your Bibles, Ephesians 5.21 sets the course for the rest of the passage here about husbands and wives and children and parents, and actually in the next verses, servants and masters. Do you see verse 21 there in your Bibles? Submitting to one another, here's the fuel for that out of reverence for Christ. These commandments, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's right. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These commandments are not a way for you to obtain favor from God, but they are the fruit of reverence for Christ. The Christ who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And what that means is, very practically, that what you do with your shame and your regret and your despair, and I have known my lot of that, I have known my share of that. What you do with that is not to hang your heads and wallow in self-condemnation, and it's not even to try harder this week. It's to cultivate, with the help of the Holy Spirit, reverence for Christ. I'm, I'm reminded of the words of Robert Murray McShane. You may be familiar with these words. For every look at yourself. And we need to look at ourselves sometimes. But for That was my addition. Okay, this is Robert Murray McShane. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. And do not some of us feel that way in a sermon on parenting? Even the chief. Live much, McShane says, in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. The Lord Jesus, I love that. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you. That's fearful when I think about my calling and my life as a parent. But McShane says, because the word of God would lead us to say, this is a, the heart of our Jesus who calls us friend. He's all-seeing eye. He sees everything. He knows everything. And he sees you in love, knowing all that we are. Disobedient children, disobedient parents, know it all. He loved us to the, to the very depths. He loved us to the heights. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. That's what Paul prays in chapter 3 that the Ephesians would grasp. It's summed up so well in that song. That is like a great song for sinners. It's a great song for parents. Love still bids you welcome. Oh, Father. I'm not going to sing this one because I don't know well enough to sing Oh, Father, when I sin against my neighbor, I turn away your very son. Who are the nearest neighbors to us? They're the ones who are in our household. Our spouses, our children, our parents. 
we sin against the people that we love most the most. It's heartbreaking. It's maddening. What do we do? When I sin against my neighbor, I turn away your very son, the song said. Your son who died to call us friends when we were strangers and says to every sinner, come. Draw near, faint heart. Draw near. Oh, love still bids you welcome. Children, last word to you today, kids. Children, obeying your parents in the Lord is hard. It's hard. Parents, not provoking your children to anger, but bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is hard. It should not be hard. Let me say that clearly, actually. It's hard, not because God is a hard taskmaster who gives us hard things to do and likes to see us squirm. It's hard because we have the flesh that is weak and we're not what we, while we are the children of God now, we're not yet what we will be, is how 1 John continues. It is hard because we're still weak. So take a deep breath, and a deep, reverent look at Christ. There will be no power to obey apart from reverence for Christ. The Christ who, by His cleansing and empowering grace, will equip you with everything good that you may do His will as you seek to devote yourself to honoring God's good design for authority in the home. And by His grace, you too might enjoy His great blood-bought blessing. Love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for many, many conversations to come, even at lunch, perhaps, after the service in the week to come, in small groups, or in coffee shops or wherever the saints might gather, that we would keep talking about these things. Uh, we've barely scratched the surface. We've talked about things at an abstract level. But we all need care and encouragement and support in this good work of honoring your design for authority in the home. So may this only get the conversations going. May we be an encouragement to one another. May we be rooting for one another. There's no parents here who are too encouraged in the Lord. And I trust there's no children here who are too encouraged in the Lord. So help us. Help us to encourage each other, to guide each other, to be praying for each other, that you should be honored in this church as we seek to have homes that Respect more good and wise and authority. We ask this all in Jesus' name.